Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 154 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 22nd of May 2016, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 31. And the Bible readings are taken from Psalm chapter 11, verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 to 21, and Jude, verses 1 to 4. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Open your Bible, first of all, to, uh, to Psalm 11.3. That's going to be our main text uh, for, for this morning. And just uh, hold, your, uh, hold your finger there when you, uh, when you find that one. That's Psalm chapter 11 and, uh, and verse 3. And then when you have uh, found that one, you can turn over into the, uh, to the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll be taking our... Second reading from there this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, and then Jude chapter 1, or yeah, there's only one chapter, so you better not find a second chapter in your Bible. You got the wrong Bible. Uh, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 from there. We'll begin with the uh, reading in Jude, and then go to 1 Timothy, and then go to, to Psalm 11. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word as we take our first reading from Jude, beginning at verse 1. The servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, notice who he's writing to, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, the last words in this particular letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy said, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing, have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. And then in Psalm chapter 11, verse 3, a verse that we've referred to so many times during our study of Genesis, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Father, I thank you again for this time that we have this morning. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, that the words would be spoken that you would have us to speak. Help us, Lord, to be able, Lord, to receive that which you have for us and to act upon it. You know the hearts of each one here. We pray that you would do the work in each heart that only you can do. We give you all the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. So often as I first began, well, we have come through, we've done 30 sermons on the Genesis account, the study that we've taken in Genesis, and it's certainly not exhaustive by any means. I did a word count just out of curiosity. There's over 40,000 words 
That'd be a thesis in a lot of places. Over 40,000 words there uh, in those 30 sermons, so you can kind of divide that out as to the average of how many that we've uh, we fit into each one of them if you want to. Uh, but that's uh, almost 31 uh, or, or 10, 11,000 words uh, uh, there. So uh, we find that uh, that's, uh, if you take the, uh, the 30 and divide it into 40,000, uh, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of words in each uh, in each sermon, and then I start saying, "Well, how in the world do we come to the end and be able to to summarize all of that?" And uh, so I'm not calling it a summary because there's no way that we can summarize that much in the amount of time that you're going to let me have before you start walking out the doors back there today. Uh, so I'm trying to keep myself on track. So rather than a a summary to bring this series to a close. Uh, I'm simply calling it the conclusion of the matter, the conclusion of the matter. Now, we've, stu- we've done all of this studying on, on the book of Genesis. And so, first of all, I would say that after going through all of that, we might ask ourselves a couple of very simple questions like, is it fact or fable? That's what the world, many thinks it's just fables. Some declare it to be fact. Is it God's final word, or is it just a fictional story? What difference does it really make? Why is it important what we believe about Genesis? Well, I hope and pray that after all that we have done on the book of Genesis, that you can hopefully have an answer to some of those questions better than you did when we began. Some would say, what's all the fuss about? Because, you know, a lot of Christians don't really even take the book of Genesis as being literal. I want you to remember in the passages that we've read from God's Word, and we'll touch back on them in a moment, but what I want you to remember there for now is this. In Jude, when we're told to contend for the faith, why? He says, because there are those that have crept in unawares. We find that when he was talking to young Timothy, he talks about them that have erred from the faith. We find that so many times we may ask ourselves, is it the enemy out there? Which sometimes it is. But so many times it's the enemy in here that has crept in into Christianity as a whole. Does it really make a difference? I, I know many, many even pastors that would consider themselves to be evangelical, and that's between them and God. I'm saying to you, this is here because this is in our series that we began in Jude all those years ago on contending for the faith. And we've gone through many things that are the fundamentals, the foundations of our faith that make our faith what it is. And I believe with all my heart that it is hard. I'm not saying that you cannot be saved and not believe it. But I believe that if you are saved and if you read it and if you go to the Holy Spirit, you'll come to realize that it is truth. It's not fable. It's not some fictional story. It is God giving us an account to answer many of the questions that we have. You see, some of you have seen this slide before, especially if you've been to some of the creation seminars. Answers in Genesis, uh, I've seen it used several times in, in, in theirs with, with Ken Ham and whatnot. And what you see is you see the two castles there. And on one side you see the world and all of their humanism and everything else that, uh, 
that just believes that we all began from that. We said, you know, we, we talked about creation in the beginning. And this is where it gets hard for me to figure out what to touch on and what not to. But we said that really, whether you believe in evolution or whether you believe in creation, everybody actually believes because evolution only goes back to a life that began. It doesn't go back to nothing. When they go back to nothing, then they believe, they believe in creation. They just believe that it came from a big boom, a big bang a big explosion, and life came out of that. But of course, some of us believe in a creator that was the force behind that creation and that life. But the world is there, and we see at the top many of the problems that we see all around us today, divorce and racism and homosexuality and euthanasia and abortion and pornography, and the list could go on and on. And here's the Christians on the one side, and they're firing, and they're trying to shoot all of these things out of the air while the enemy... He's wise enough. He's not just shooting at the symptoms in the air. He's trying to blow the foundation away. <laughs> because, folks, if you destroy the foundation, everything else will crumble. There's no question about it whatsoever. We began this series by talking about a lot of questions that needed to be answered. I've put a lot of this on slides to keep me on track, and because we're going to hit so many things that hopefully hearing and visual will help you to just kind of put all of this into some kind of a package that will help you. We said that when we first began this, there's all kind of people that want to answer those simple questions like, where did we come from? Where are we going? You know, how did all this begin, and how is it going to finish? Those are questions that the world goes to, and they, they look at, I believe, just exactly what Paul was talking to young Timothy, that science falsely so-called man's wisdom to try to answer those questions. When I believe that the creator himself, God himself, is the one that created us and put us here. We've said through all of this that it's in the book of Genesis that we can find the answers to those questions if we're willing to take God's word for it. You see, the truth is, is that when we look at Genesis, there's so many things that we've considered there that it is the very foundation to understanding not only the answers that we've just mentioned, but many of the answers that man is looking for is found in the book of Genesis. God's word, he gives them to us. You take away Genesis and guess what? The answers will just begin to fade away as well. There's nowhere else to go. Man doesn't know. There's not a living person that was there. God's the only one that was there before man came along. We need God's account, the book of beginnings, that which God has given to us. We said that it's the foundation to understand many of the great doctrines of Scripture, so many things that we get to, and we, we have looked at some of those through the years, but when you begin to, again, take away Genesis, we find that those great doctrines, many of them will just crumble. Why is it important for man to understand the book of Genesis? Why is it important to get God's answers on these things we find that when we begin to consider the book of Genesis, that again, that we've considered in our time of studying these passages, some of the great Bible doctrines, we've looked at 12 of them, at a dozen of them, that have their foundations laid in the book of beginnings. It is the book of beginnings. It's where God begins to tell us, and it's where so many 
of the great teachings of the Bible, they have their foundation there. That's where they're planted. That's where they begin. That's where God first begins to help to give us an understanding of those things. But again, if you take away the book of Genesis, I promise you that the foundations, if they be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We find that as we look into the scriptures today, I just want to say to you very, very quickly that does it matter? Does it make a difference? I would say resoundingly, yes, it matters very, very much. It not only matters to you, it matters to your children and your grandchildren that follow if God tarries that long. It matters to the church, this church that you're a part of, to all the churches. It matters to all of those around you that are seeking the answers and they, they haven't found those answers. Why? Why did God tell us? God is the one that told us, we as Christians, who was he writing the book of Jude to? What is this series all about? He was writing, he said, to them that are sanctified by God, to them that are set apart by God, to them that are preserved in Jesus Christ and called. He's writing to those that are truly born again. If you're here today and if you're a child of God, if you're saved and on your way to heaven, God is writing this to you. He said, mercy to you and peace and love be multiplied. He wants all of those good things for you. But he says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith, that faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why is it important that we contend for the faith, that we fight for this faith. Why is it important for you and your family and this church? Why is it important for true Christians everywhere, which is who this is being written to? Why is it important that they contend? Well, he gave us one of the reasons right there when he told us to do it. He said, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. It's vital because there are those that would come in. And if we are not standing upon the truth, if we're not contending for the faith, if we're trying to say, well, you know, again, you've heard me say it many times during this series. Many people don't want doctrine because they say doctrine divides. Well, friends, doctrine is supposed to divide. It's supposed to divide the truth from the false. It's supposed to, to, to de determine in our hearts, in each and every one of us, where we're going to stand and how we're going to live our lives. Doctrines are simply the teachings. When we talk about the doctrines of the Bible and the doctrines of God, we're simply talking about what God has taught us. We find that the enemy is at work. And he is there to undermine every true Christian. That's why this is being written to every true Christian. The faith that was once for all delivered from God, the faith that God delivered to us was not delivered 
through what man thinks, through what some church thinks, or what some tradition says, the faith that God delivered to us once for all is in the word of God. We find that these ungodly men, he said they're attempting to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, into something that's fleshly and perverted, denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ, denying the only hope that any individual has. If he can take what's God's and he can turn it into something fleshly and emotional and, and something that is, that is fleshly and he can deny the Lord Jesus Christ, then nobody has a hope. Nobody has a prayer. You see, God needs people to wake up, to take a stand, to take a stand if your family, if your friends, if our church, if all those around us are to have any hope at all. Do you remember how we summed up those first four summons in this series? We have a fight to be fought. For a faith in its fullness, not watered down, not cut to bits, a fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness on a foundation that's firm. Not what man thinks, not what we feel. Our heart is deceitful above all things. What God says against a foe that's a fraud. Uh, he's the greatest deceiver in all of the world. And that's what this is all about. What did Paul say there to Timothy? Keep that which is committed to thy trust. We have the truth. It's been given to us. We know that it's the truth. He said avoid profane and vain babblings. Avoid those things that absolutely are either absolutely profane or they're just useless and worthless and not worth anything anyway. Avoid it. Avoid an oppositions of science, falsely so-called science, knowledge. We love science. We love knowledge. We're not trying to say that God wants a bunch of stupid people that'll believe anything. No, we know, but we want to know what God knows. We want to know what the creator of everything knows. We don't want knowledge that has God out of the picture and only has man's wisdom. He says, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. We live in a day when many have gone away. You see, it's by God's grace. Why are we spending so much time going through the fundamentals, the foundations of the Word of God? Because, folks, that's where we've got to stand. That's what we've got to fight for. That's what will give us a solid foundation to live upon so that we're not knocked about by every wind that comes along. We find that we've asked that question that's on the screen many times, if the foundations be destroyed. <laughs> What can the righteous do? You see, the foundations of the Christian faith are being chipped away at and destroyed all around us. We've tried to focus on many of those fundamental foundation truths that we've got to be willing. They matter because God said they matter. They matter to you, me, this church, to everybody they should matter to us. As we've been looking through the Genesis account, it's clearly one of the foundational truths 
of the Christian faith. And it is very much under attack, and we must be willing to contend for it, to fight for it. Because as I said, folks, it's not just the enemy out there. It's those that have crept in unawares that would destroy Christianity, that would undermine the foundational truths that would tell you and us that it really doesn't matter what you believe about these things. It matters very, very much. As we've spent this time going through the Genesis account, hopefully you've been here enough to grasp some of the very good reasons why that it's so important. These dozen great Bible doctors that we've looked at that find their foundation in the book of Genesis, along with many more, we might say, if we allow that foundation to be destroyed, then what are the righteous going to do? What are we as Christians going to do? Because if those foundations are destroyed, then all that's built upon them will surely begin to crack and collapse. It's a fact. You take away the foundation to anything, it simply will not stand. Why is it so hard for so many Christians just to understand and to grasp that? Why are so many just willing to sit back willingly, and pretend that nothing is going on. We have the truth. If we really believe that, then may I ask, what possible excuse do we have to just idly sit by while the enemy is blasting away at the very foundation of our Christian faith? How can we do that? What are we made of? What's within us? If we can see that happening and have no desire to do anything about it. Do we understand? Satan is using everything in his arsenal to destroy you, to destroy your family, to destroy this church, to destroy the Christian faith and the hope of mankind. He wants to destroy it. Are you prepared to do battle? Are you prepared to do battle for a truth that matters more than anything? I've been asked by some people over the years many times how that I could go off and serve in the military without violating my Christian principles. Well, may I say to you, God not only teaches that some things are to be fought for. <laughs> but he also actually teaches us that it's wrong not to fight for some things. We have battles in the natural world, and to be quite honest, yes, some of them are just man's evilness that brings them about. But some of them are fought because they need to be fought. There are battles in the spiritual world that have to be fought, and God actually calls us to get ready for them. I'm asking you today, are you prepared 
to fight for your faith, to defend the truths of God's word, or are you prepared to sit by and watch people chip away at it and say that it doesn't matter and watch the cracks appear, watch more people's lives be destroyed before our eyes? We find that when I joined the Air Force, you know, the first thing that they have you do is after they scalp you and, and uh, after they, they, they get you all in these uh, beautiful attire that they dress you in and everything. But you have this, this, these, these weeks, months of boot camp, of, of basic training, of getting ready to be a soldier. And of course, during that time that you're going through that, I mean, they're trying to build up physical endurance. Yes, they'll have you running more miles and doing more exercise than you ever thought was humanly possible. They're also trying to get you mentally tough. They want mental endurance as well. Yes, I mean, I saw guys crack. I saw guys split their wrist. I saw guys literally crack under the pressures that they put upon you. Why? Because you're going into battle. And if you're going into battle, if you're the guy that's got my back, I want you to be prepared for it, physically and mentally, ready to do the job. We find that they also, we had these classes <laughs> We had to virtually memorize what's known as the UCMJ in the American military, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. In other words, it's all the right ways and wrong ways to do things, what's legal and what's not when you go into battle, how that you fight the battle. I got news for you. <laughs> we got a much more thorough Uniform Code of Military Justice right here that God has to prepare us for the battle that's bigger than any enemy that any military on the face of this earth will ever stand against, that will ever face. They taught you how to engage the enemy. Yep, I, I, I know it's a bad word here, but they, they actually taught me how to take a gun and hit what I was aiming at. They taught you how that, that, that big old target out there is the enemy, and your job is to take the enemy down. You hit him where it hurts most. Because if you don't, he's going to get up and come back at you. Now, see, the thing is this. I never, ever, ever, when I went to join the military, I never went there because, hey, I'll get to go kill somebody. I'll get to go, boom, blow somebody away. I went because I believed there was something worth defending, something worth fighting. I went there to defend my nation and my country and the principles that we live by, the freedoms that we had. I never, ever, ever wanted to have to take somebody else's life. But I was willing to stand against the enemy. I got news for you. You can fight all you want. You're not going to take Satan's life. <laughs> You're not going to destroy him. What you need to do is inflict enough on him to stop him, though. And the Bible says you can do that as a child of God. You've got a chance. God's calling us in this case to defend something. He says contend for the faith. He's the one that tells you to put on your armor because you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against spiritual darkness in high places. The battle is real. 
You see, the Genesis account, beginnings, origins, the book of beginnings, the book of origins. If it really is the book of beginnings, it is then of necessity foundational to the rest of it. That's where it begins. You don't build the house and then put a foundation under it. You start with the foundation and you build upon it. That's what we have been trying to do in these recent weeks. The enemy is out to destroy the very foundations of Scripture and the Christian faith, and we need to stand up and be counted and defend them and fight for them, praise God. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You'll do nothing but crumble if the foundations are destroyed. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, Jesus, whoever hears my words and does them. I've said many times, the Bible is not meant just to be known so that you can impress somebody with all of your great biblical knowledge. We know you're smart. The Bible is meant to be known so that it can be lived, so that you can apply it to your life, so that you can do what it says. He says, be not hearers only, but doers. Whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, he says, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. I mentioned earlier, because I thought when I was reading this, as we heard our missions report from Kenya and the rainy season there now, and it was just on the, on the news a couple of weeks back probably, where the, when the rains came, the floods came in, this building collapsed because it wasn't built on a solid enough foundation for what was coming against it. If it had been, it would have withstood it, but it wasn't. We talked about in the beginning of this series of some of the phenomenal foundations that these huge structures have to be built upon. Jesus said, if you will build upon this foundation, his words, what he says, if you'll hear him and do what he says, he will liken to you to the man that built his house on a solid foundation. And when all the storms came, he was able to stand. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Did you notice in both cases, they both heard. They both heard the truth. It was just that one acted upon it. One heard God's word and acted upon it. The other one heard, uh, he says, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You know, I am so glad. I, I really couldn't express I am so glad that you're here today. I am so glad that you're here to hear the word of God. Whatever your spiritual condition, whatever your physical condition, I'm so glad that you're here. You know, there's too many people today that are hearing, but they're not doing. 
They're hearing what God says, but they're not doing anything about it. He says the ones that hear and do something about it, they're building on a solid foundation. The ones that hear and don't listen and don't heed it and don't act upon it, they're building upon the sand. And what happened then? And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, the same storms that the other one faced, beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The conclusion of the matter, folks, I wish, I wish somehow that I could just take a little bit of my heart and give it to you today. It is vital. It is vital that we stand solid upon the truths that God has given to us and that be we be willing to contend for them and fight for them, whatever it takes, that we don't surrender, that we don't give up the foundations. You see, so many times people are they're looking at all these great doctrines. They said, oh, we believe that, we believe that, and we believe that, while at the same time they're allowing to chip away at the foundation. God didn't really do it in six days. You know, a worldwide flood, you know, that's just, that's just a fairy tale. You know, those things, God, you know, parting the waters and people walking on dry, that's fairy tale stuff. You know, God doesn't really do stuff like that. Folks, God does more than we can ever even possibly begin to imagine. We've looked these recent weeks, and we certainly don't have time to discuss them this morning, but we've talked about that Genesis is the foundation for the very authority of God's Word. If it, if it is authoritative at all, it is authoritative in all. Remember that? We either, it's either all truth or we don't know what part of it is truth. The very foundation of God's Word having authority the foundation is in Genesis because that's where we've got to start believing it. That's where we've got to take it. And you know what? If you take away the Genesis account of creation and you remove it from the scene, guess what? The authority of God's Word begins to crumble. And what you have left in the end when it's all said and done is just a pile of rubble. It will fall. You can't, you can't start taking away one word. You say, well, I don't like this passage, or I don't like this verse, or I don't like this word. If you begin to whittle and chip away at all, you take it all or you take nothing. The authority of God's word. Genesis is the foundation. We saw that not only when you begin to chip away at the book of beginnings, that Genesis not only do you see the crumbling of the authority of God's Word? But we said that it's also the very foundation for the assertion that we make of God's exist existence. This book begins, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was only one thing there, and that was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We find that when you start to whittle away at the book of Genesis and you begin to chip away at that foundation, the assertion of God's existence will begin to fall apart. And all you'll be left with is that heap of rubble. Genesis 
It's so important. It's so vital. It's also, we saw the foundation of the absoluteness of God's creation. We know it doesn't make sense to man's mind. How can it? Man's never seen or begin to comprehend and understand the power of God. God created everything from nothing. God spoke and it was. That's his power. You see, man has to come up with all these millions and billions of years because he's got to do it in a way that it cannot be observed. Nobody can look at it and see it happen. So it had to take that long. They try to date all these things, but they don't even take into consideration what would have happened, number one, when God created this place. He didn't create it in its infancy. You know, Adam and Eve were created in the garden, but they weren't babies in the cradle. They were adults. He created a garden full of trees. He created grown animals. He created a mature earth. Science looks at it at that point. They see something that they're trying to think without God. It took all this time for it to get to the point that it was when God created it. They don't take into consideration a worldwide flood and what it would do to all those things when they were under the pressure of that water for all that. So many things I'm saying to you folks. The absoluteness of God's creation. He did it. And he did it in six days. And he did it from nothing. When you begin to take away the book of Genesis, then you'll find that the absoluteness of God's creation will fall away as well. You'll be left with that heap of rubble. We said that as we look at the book of Genesis, that it's the foundation for the advancement of the human race. God's the one that planned it and worked it out. He's the one that said one man, one woman, coming together, having a child. And the human race advances. They marry and they give birth to children, and it goes on. And all of those foundations of the advancement of the human race are found in the book of Genesis. When you begin to take it away, then the advancement of the human race as God designed it begins to crumble as we see it happening all around us with just a bunch of rubble left. The book of Genesis, we saw where that it's there that we find the foundation for the accountability of mankind. How can you ever? You know, so many times I'm reminded of the illustration that I've given you before. I'm reminded of Peter standing on the day of Pentecost. I'm reminded of him preaching to all those Jews, devout Jews from all over the world, from every nation on earth. They said they were there. They were hearing in their own language. It was a miraculous thing that took place. And he preached the gospel to them. And man, how many got saved? 3,000. <laughs> I don't know if my heart would take that or not. Praise God. That was the same guy that had stumbled and fell and denied Jesus and was always taking his foot and sticking it in his mouth, and yet there God used him like that. I looked later on in scriptures when Paul was in Athens and he was standing there on Mars Hill and he began to proclaim and to preach to them. Well, they hadn't heard the Old Testament taught all their lives like all those Jews had. They didn't know the God of Paul. He had to begin with the God of creation. He had to lay the foundation for their accountability, the God that they didn't know. You see, you can go out and tell people that they're lost and they need to be saved all you want. But when you begin to chip away at the book of Genesis, which teaches us that man is accountable to God because God created us, that begins to fall apart. We're left with another 
pile of rubble. We saw the administration of home life again. We find that God has a design. He's told them how to, how to do it and how to perform it and how to administer that home life. The world's in a mess today. They don't understand how that a home is supposed to operate God's way. Well, God laid the foundations right there in the book of Genesis that we looked at, but when you begin to take away those foundations, then all that doctrine begins to fall. We're left with nothing. We looked at that it was in the book of Genesis that we find that the acuteness of man's fall, how serious was it that man fell? How far did man fall? The consequences of that, folks, we'll never understand the depravity of man. If we take away the book of Genesis, the terribleness of what he fell when he fell into sin, and the consequences of that goes with it, and we're left with a pile of rubble. We looked at the foundations being laid for the abolishment of Satan. Oh, we've got to fight right now. We've got an enemy that we've got to stand against. We've got to fight. But let me tell you, it was there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God first laid the plan that Satan had his day coming, that Jesus Christ would crush the head of that old serpent. Take away Genesis. That promise disappears with it. We're left with a heap of rubble in our lives it was there in the book of Genesis with that foundation being laid that we saw the foundation was laid for the atonement of sin. I mean, what a great Bible doctrine. Once man has failed, once man has sinned to a God that he's accountable to, we find that it was when sin entered in that death came with it. Man was separated from God. It was all gone. But God came in. God gave them skins to cover themselves. God had a plan in place for their atonement right the way through. If you take away the foundations of Genesis, you begin to destroy the doctrine of the atonement of sin. You're left with a worthless pile of rubble. We find that it's there in the book of Genesis that we saw that the foundation is laid for the acceptance of offerings. Brother Steve was teaching wonderfully on that in adult Bible study this morning, the, the giving and the way to give and, and right ways and wrong ways to give. We saw in Genesis how that two could give offerings to God. They're both giving to God. One be accepted and one not. And we looked at all these different reasons, but in the end, God told us that Abel gave a more perfect sacrifice. Why? Because he gave by faith. He believed and obeyed God. We find that Again, when you begin to destroy the foundations that are laid in the book of Genesis, the teaching of God's acceptance of offerings begins to fall away. We looked then in just not too many weeks ago at the foundation that was laid in the book of Genesis for the affirmation of God's judgment. You know, we, we judge things all the time. But you know the most beautiful thing about the fact when we begin to understand it's not just understanding, the very first judgment that God ever passed was on his perfect creation. It was good. It was good. In the end, it was very good. It was perfect. There wasn't a flaw. There wasn't anything there until man disobeyed him, until that sin came in. We find that God judge them. Of course, we've seen different judgments, but we see how that God's judgment is always accompanied 
with mercy and grace. It's not God's will that any should perish. And we see, you know, the exciting thing, the worst thing about being judged is to be judged falsely. God is the righteous judge. He can only judge right. You don't have to worry about somebody falsely accusing you or what somebody else thinks of you. And sorry, it doesn't even matter what you think of somebody else. God's judgment. Oh, we had those foundations laid. And if we begin to destroy that foundation, then the teachings of God's judgment will just fall away. And we'll have that heap of rubble. And then finally, in recent weeks, the last great doctrine that we looked at that was built upon the foundation of Genesis was the assurance of God's promises. Boy, I love that. <laughs> And get excited. Again, about all of these great doctrines. They're great Bible doctrines. And they all begin in the book of beginnings. That's where the foundation is laid for them. That God continues to build upon right through scriptures then. But if the foundations be destroyed, just like all those promises that we looked at. And we looked at how God made promises. The very first ones right there in the garden with Adam and Eve. But then out of the garden... He even made promises to Cain that was a murderer that had murdered his brother. We saw that God made promises to Noah, to Abraham. His promises that were sure, and even though when they seemed completely impossible to man, God always came through. But folks, if we begin to allow people to chip away at the foundation of Genesis, it will destroy those great doctrines that we have. You see, the book of Genesis is just the first book of 66 in the Bible. But I wonder this morning, do you think it matters? Oh, I say to you, it matters what you believe. It matters very much what you believe. It also matters who you believe. We saw that in so many of these things. Are you going to believe your own wicked heart? Are you going to believe the limitations of man? Or are you going to believe God? It matters what you believe. It matters who you believe. And it matters for eternity. It's not just a question of today. You're sitting here right now. But whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you believe in that atonement that he's given you through his son, Jesus Christ, whether or not you believe that will matter for eternity. Yes, it matters to you. Yes, it matters. It'll matter to your children. It matters to those around you. May I say to you, it matters what? It matters who? It matters for eternity. It matters now. Right now. You've got now. I'm not trying to say that to be funny. You know, one of the most frustrating things I mean, you know, I love reading God's Word. I love studying God's Word. I love preparing all these sermons that takes me so long to try to get across to you then. I love spending that time with God. But I've said to you many times, it's just like those that built upon the rock. I know. Now, some of you may have cut me off and shut me out and had your mind in other places and not heard everything that was said here this morning, but you've heard, and you've heard. And the truth is that it's only what you believe 
that is given to you by God that's going to matter for eternity, and it matters to you right now. Do you believe that as a sinner, because of the fall, you're like every other human being. Don't try to lift yourself up and think that you're not. We're all in that same boat. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That was the glory. The only time this earth has known the full glory of God was in the Garden of Eden before sin entered in. Now, God's going to return it to that glory one day, and he's going to return you to that glory one day. But for now, do you believe Jesus died for you? Listen, you can hear it all your life. That's the thing that frightens me. I hate the thought of standing before God one day and, and, and seeing somebody that's standing before God in judgment because they don't know Jesus Christ. And I've had the privilege of telling them about Jesus. <laughs> and they've heard. But they decided to build their house upon the sand, not to act upon it. They know. They've heard. They know it all. But they've not been willing to humble themselves. It won't happen by itself. You must humble yourselves before that holy God. You must repent of your sins, turn your back on that sinful life, on that sinful flesh. No, you're never going to be perfect, but start trying to see how much you can be like Jesus instead of how close that you can walk with the world. We get it all backwards over and over and over again. We want them to like us. We want them to not be offended by us. We want them to do all this. Well, how about if we just try to be like him? It may offend some people, but I'll tell you this, you're better off to offend them and them see Jesus Christ in your life and it make a difference and them spend eternity in heaven one day than for you just to lay back and be cool. <laughs> Don't bring any offense to them. I've got news for you. The gospel offends. None of us like it when we have to look and see that we're a sinner. <laughs> I've never seen anybody jump for joy because they were a low-down sinner. But boy, you can jump for joy when you realize that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross and he paid for those sins. And if you'll trust in him, if you'll go to God and you'll ask him, he will forgive you, he will save you, and it matters right now what you believe about that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You see, I fear for you this morning, even if you don't fear for yourself. I know that we all have a limited amount of time. I know that no matter what I say, that in the end it's going to be your choice. You know, I wish I could say it better. I wish I could preach better, not for me, but so that you wouldn't walk out of here without acting upon what God said to you. My greatest fear today is you leaving here having heard but doing nothing about it. You see, first of all, I want to ask you real quickly, heads bowed, nobody looking around. Are you here today? Maybe you've heard it. You've heard all about Jesus. You've heard all about God. But you've never acted upon the gospel. You've never humbled yourself and asked God for forgiveness. You've never... You may know it all. You may have even tried to live better and go to church and do all these wonderful things. You may have been dunked in the pool and everything, but are you here? And though you've heard it, you've never truly called upon Jesus to save you. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? I won't embarrass you, but I'll certainly like to pray for you this morning. Anyone, anywhere, 
You're not certain. God bless you. You can put your hand down once it's, once it's raised. You can put your hand back down. You don't have that certainty. Can I pray for you right now? Christian, let me ask you. Are you here today and you've heard the truth and you know the truth and you've even responded to God's call of salvation on your life? But you know you've not been fighting the battle. <laughs> you know you've not been making the stand. People chipping away at the foundations of God's word all around you. But you're not doing anything about it. Would you slip your hand up and say, preacher, just pray for me. I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. God bless you. God, God sees your hands. Help me to take the stand I need to. God bless you. We're going to sing here just to say, only trust him. <laughs> I can't do it for you, but he will this morning. Right now, if you're one of those that is lost or if you're one of those that is a Christian, is there anybody that right now would just like to slip out of your seat and come down and pray and talk to God about it? Maybe have somebody pray with you. Would you like to act upon it? You know, I heard somebody say one time, well, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do it. No, you don't. It's between you and God. But I like what I heard one preacher say one time. He said, when I said I do to my wife, I didn't go off in the corner and hide it. I said it for everybody. Will you say, I do to God today? I do, God. I hear you. I want you to help me. If you've got something that you'd like to take care of with Jesus, will you come? Will you come? Will you give it to him? Will you be defeated today and walk out of here not having done business with God? I love you. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to do anything for man. I want your life. To be changed. I want you to be closer to the Lord than you've ever been. I want you to be building that house upon the rock because you're hearing and doing what God wants for your life. And it doesn't matter what storms the devil brings against you. You'll stand. You'll stand against the storms because you're built on the solid ground.